0: Hello and welcome to Connect Points Podcast and Sermon Archives. If you'd like to learn more about our church, please go online to our website at connectpointupc.com or follow us on our Facebook page. Thank you very much and I hope you enjoy this week's message. God bless. special Christmas stuff tonight so they're all in their classes. We're so thankful for them. and We love them very much. You can turn to two or three people and give them a high five. Tell them something nice. Amen. Praise God. Amen. The Lord is good, isn't he? How many know the Lord is good? Lord is good in our lives. We are so very thankful for everything that God is doing, and I'm just so thankful that you're able to be here tonight. I honor you for being in the house of the Lord I honor you for faithfulness involving yourself, amen, in God's kingdom, amen, and what's going on here, and I know that you will absolutely not regret any time that you, amen, prioritize God in your life. That is always, always the right thing to do, amen, always the right thing to do, so I honor you for that, amen. I do want to take this night tonight to finish out Amen. This study of the book of Amos, we are on the last and final chapter. Amen. We may get to a Christmas connection somewhere in this lesson. Amen. I know it's that time of year, and uh, we like to talk about that a little bit. But if I don't get this finished, amen, we're gonna just—I don't want to pick up the last chapter a month from now. Okay. Amen. And I'm excited. I've been excited about this study of this book, and I—I uh, I had it. In my mind earlier, um, I think I had some close to 40 pages of notes. I don't know how many thousands of words. Hey Amen. It's taken us. This will be the 10th week. We did nine chapters in 10 weeks, which is uh, that's moving when you're really studying. That's that's really moving kind of quick. And so I hope that you take time to to dig into it a little bit more yourself. Uh, but we've we've really invested. Hey man, some some time into this, and I think it's been worthwhile. I have learned so much that I didn't know before, and uh, I think it's a powerful thing. And so tonight we jump into this ninth chapter, and um, we've learned a lot about God and and the attributes of God. Here's the beautiful thing about when you study the Word of God, because anything you learn about God when you study His Word, He still is. Right? Right? So you're not learning about a version of God that used to exist, you're learning about the God who is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so it's always good to learn about God because it always is applicable. So we've learned a lot. We've learned uh, very specifically about the righteousness of God. Amen, that he is a just God, right? Amen, we've learned about that. We've learned also at the same time about his grace and about this whole idea of a prophet is grace. This is all uh, mercy. This is the idea of sending someone to, to proclaim in the streets that you need to do something about your spiritual, spiritual condition, amen. That in itself is, is a merciful thing for God to do. And we've learned about the power of prophecy and we learned about the power of prayer, more specifically in some of these recent chapters, amen. When Amos himself intercedes on behalf of his people, and we learned about the power of prayer. And so we're, we're in this, uh, we, we switched a couple of weeks back, Amos is now having these visions, and we're, we've dealt with four of these visions, there was five altogether, and we're here at the fifth vision, uh, and it's once again very descriptive uh, uh, of destruction that was coming, going to come upon them. And we'll just read uh, the few verses right off the bat to get started, nine, one through four. He says, I saw. Somebody say, I saw. So I didn't hear it alone. I saw it. I saw the Lord standing upon the altar, and he said, smite the lintel of the door, that the post may shake and cut them in the head, all of them, and I will slay the last of them with the sword. He that fleeth of them shall not flee away. He that escapeth of them shall not be delivered, though they dig into hell Thence shall mine hand take them, though they climb up to heaven. Thence will I break them down, and though they hide themselves in the top of Carmel, I will search and take them out thence. And though they be hid from my sight in the bottom of the sea, thence will I command the serpent, and he shall bite them. And though they go into captivity before their enemies, thence will I command the sword, and it shall slay them. And I will set mine eyes upon them for evil and not... For good. Amen. So this is a very descriptive verse. Amen. It's a powerful verse. Amos sees the Lord standing at the altar. Now, this would have been most likely the altar in Jerusalem. This would have been the temple of Jerusalem, the altar in Jerusalem, because God uh, would not stand in the presence of those golden calves in Bethel, amen, and stand there at the altar. He would not inhabit that place, amen. He is known for being between the cherubims, hovering in the presence of the mercy seat. Uh, now he is not there. Now he stands uh, At the altar. And that is telling. He has left the mercy seat. Everybody hear me? He has left the mercy seat. Now he stands at the altar. It is assumed in this vision that there is the whole of the nation is presented here. They have all gathered in to the temple to hear what thus saith the Lord. So everybody is there. They've all been called to the altar. Amen. Anybody ever been called to an altar before? I don't know. The lingo is very interesting. We we say uh, that we're going to give an altar call. And so that, the implication is, is that the preacher, the teacher, whoever has the, the microphone is going to say something to the effect of, uh, would you come to the altar? Would you come and pray? Would you come and seek the Lord? However, uh, I don't know about you, but in my life, uh, uh, the call to the altar comes way before the person with the mic ever says it. Amen. It's, it's, in, it's in the preaching It's in the Word. It's when I'm sitting there in the pew, and it's boom, boom, it's hitting you, right? And you just know in yourself that i got to get to that altar. I believe that God gives the best altar calls. Not that I'm going to stop doing it. But God gives the best altar calls, and they're called to the altar. We don't often think of the altar as a place of judgment, do we? It's a weird thing that God is standing at the altar and that he is pronouncing judgment. We, we tend to think of it as a place of grace. It's a place of mercy. It's a place of restoration. However, we see here that it, this is where God is going to speak judgment on them. It's a place, if you think about it, it's a place where they cannot argue their punishment. They cannot argue that justice is done. He stands at the altar that they could have come to at any time. They could have run to the altar at any time and they could have been forgiven and they could have offered their sacrifice and they could have dealt with their sinfulness. He stands at the altar to pronounce judgment because they cannot question his judgment at the altar. Amen. They stand gazing upon the altar that could have saved them as he pronounces judgment. Last week, we considered the idea of the, uh, the... He said there would be a famine of the word of the Lord. Remember that? Hey Amen. Maybe that stuck with you this week. That, ever since I've heard that, that sticks with me. It pops in my brain every once in a while. A famine of the word of the Lord that would come upon them. We considered how horrible it would be to cry out to God and for him not to be there. Now, if you will, consider the altar how many will run to the altar after it's too late how many will run to the altar how many will jump in a car and and speed their way to the house of god jump out break into the church and run to the altar when they, when they, they realize that judgment has come and then they get there and instead of finding that mercy that they have known before and had expected to receive, instead of finding that mercy, there is no mercy. Now there is just judgment. Judgment at the altar. Imagine what it would feel like to stand in the altar and know God's not there. Amen. And so, standing in the altar, he begins and he he speaks from that place. Remember the actions of Christ in the New Testament. While he was going everywhere healing and delivering and providing and raising the dead and healing the lepers and multiplying the fish and all that. While he was doing all of that, we find John 2, and the Jews' Passover was at hand, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem and found in the temple those that sold oxen and sheep and doves and the changers of money sitting. And when he had made a scourge of small cords, he drove them all out of the temple and the sheep and the oxen. and He poured out the changers' money, and he overthrew the tables. And he said unto them that sold doves, take these things hence, make not my father's house a house of merchandise. So this loving God who was going everywhere and, his, and he was without sin, cast the first stone and saying, hey, go and sin no more and healing all these and touching all these and blessing all of these. And Amen. In the midst of all that, he goes in and he knocks over the tables in the temple and he has a whip that he's sm- swinging around and all of the animals and things and he's kicking everything out of the temple. Amen. Amen. Even in that condition, he's judgment was happening in in the house of God. We also recall the words of 1 Peter 4 and 17, for the time has come that judgment must begin at the house of God. And it is first begin, if it first begin at us, what shall the end be of them that obey not the gospel of God? Amen. He says, the the time has come that judgment's going to begin. Where's it going to begin? It's going to begin in the house of God. And if the people that are in the house of God can't be saved or lived in a way that they will not be saved, what chance do those that are not in the house of God even have? The so judgment begins at the house of God. And so it makes sense, Old Testament and new, that he would stand there at the altar. We must take opportunity to receive mercy at the, in the house of God while we can. You can't let time go by. The Apostle Paul said, I die daily. I die daily. I, I repent. Daily, I ask for forgiveness daily. I'm crucified with Christ daily. Why? Because he understood you cannot let this become old habit. You cannot let this become some sort of cold-hearted ritual. You can't show up to the house of God, sit on a pew, go through the motions, get up and walk out the door. You have got to understand the power of it while it is There. And I would even go as far as to say this. We have got to be mature apostolic Christians to the point that we come to the house of God not simply because we're desperate to run to an altar. Amen. Let me tell you a sign of spiritual maturity. A sign of spiritual maturity is that you can walk into the house of God on a Sunday during a church service and you can think, Lord, how can I help you today? What can I do? How can I minister to someone else? How can you use me? Who can I pray for? Who, 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 who are you going to give me a word for today? How can I encourage someone today? Instead of coming into the house of God saying, I, I, Pastor, I, you need to stop preaching because i got to get up to the altar. i got to repent. I got, I'm just dying here. I've messed up all week. i got to get this. Now listen, hear me. If that's how you feel, that's good. You're in the right place. Amen. If you, if you know that you've got sin in your life, you need to be in an altar. I'll also tell you this. You you don't need to wait till you get to this altar to deal with it. You need an altar in your home. You can make an altar in your car. You can make an altar at your, at your place of business and your work. You need to have altars everywhere you go. Amen. You shouldn't, you shouldn't live to Sunday to Sunday, and i got to just go running to an altar. It's a sign of spiritual maturity. Thank God for the altar. Thank God that there are times that we have to run to the altar, but we also got to get to the place where we understand the power that is here and how we can involve ourselves in it be a part of it. David famously said in Psalm 27, one thing have I desired of the Lord and that will I seek after that I may dwell in the house of the Lord all the days of my life. And then he goes on to behold the beauty of the Lord, and to inquire in his temple. For in the time of trouble he shall hide me in his pavilion. In the secret of his tabernacle shall he hide me. He shall set me upon a rock. And now shall my head be lifted up above my enemies, round about me. So he's saying I'm inquiring of the Lord. I'm learning of the Lord. I'm growing in the Lord. And so in a time of trouble, I know I can run to the house of God. But I also know I can have a relationship with God where he sets me on a rock, where my head is now lifted above my enemies, where now I'm existing. In a state, in a relationship with him that's not constantly about how is the devil going to attack me today, but it's about how am I going to work for the Lord today. Amen. And so he says, He did decide, now shall my head be lifted up. Therefore will I offer in his tabernacle, look what he says, sacrifices of joy. I know there's times that we have to weep in an altar. I've wept in a lot of altars. I'll weep in a lot more altars. I have no problem with weeping in an altar. But every time we come to the house of God, we should not be so distraught, so downtrodden, so beat up. So our, our, our lives is full of sin and failure that we have to fall and weep on the altar. Sometimes we offer up a sacrifice of joy. Sometimes we offer up thanksgiving. Sometimes we just come in and say, it's been a great week and it's because of you, God. It's because of you. Amen, sacrifices of joy, I will sing, he says, "Yea, I will sing praises unto the Lord. I will sing praises unto the Lord, amen. David's relationship with the house of the Lord was very different than what Amos was seeing in his day. While it was a place of protection for David, it became a place of destruction for those in Amos's day. From the words of the same God who tried to save them, comes these devastating commands. He says, smite the lintel of the door that the posts may shake. The lintel was the top of the mighty pillars. It was the very top section of the mighty pillars of the temple. That was the lintel. The post was the bottom of the pillars. It was the footings. It was the biggest part, the strongest part of the pillars themselves. The Lord says, Smite it from the top to the bottom. He says, he says, Hit it so that it will all come tumbling down. He speaks as if he's giving a command, like he maybe is speaking to a destroying angel of some sort. Go smite the lintel and the posts, the decisive blow against them. Cut them in the head, he says, all of them, and I will slay the last of them with the sword. The word picture is here that God is standing by the altar. All of Jerusalem, or at least the, a great percentage of them, have gathered into the temple. This is the word picture. And when they gathered in, the angel smites the posts and knocks it so that the whole thing falls down upon them, the, cutting them in the head. It's the falling temple in which they have gathered. It will destroy and entomb them as it falls upon them. And I will slay the last of them. It reminds me of, of, of Samson, right? Right? Lord, let me do one last thing. Bring me to the pillars. Puts his hands upon the pillars. There's people on the ground floor. There's apparently a, tons of people upon the roof of this mighty big structure. He calls upon the name of the Lord, and he presses, and the whole thing falls, and he kills more in his death than he ever killed in his life. It's reminiscent of that to us. And I will slay the last of them with the sword. He that fleeth to them shall not flee away, and he that escapeth of them shall not be delivered. The Lord says those who think that they have escaped judgment are not really going to escape. And those that attempt to flee and escape, it's not going to work. It won't be successful. And then the Lord uses some words that also are going to remind us of David. But once again, it will show a bold contrast between mercy and judgment. See if this rings anything for you. Amos 9, 3-4. And though they hide themselves in the top of Carmel, I will search and take them out thence. And though they be hid from my sight in the bottom of the sea, thence will I command the serpent, he shall bite them. Though they go into captivity before their enemies, thence will I command the sword, and it shall slay them, and I will set my eyes upon them for evil and not for good. You remember the words of David in Psalm 139 when he says, Whither shall I go from thy spirit? Whither shall I flee from thy presence? If I ascend up into heaven, thou art there. If I make my bed in hell, behold, thou art there. If I take the wings of the morning and dwell in the uttermost parts of the sea, even there shall thy hand lead me, thy right hand shall hold me. If I say, surely the darkness shall cover me, even the night shall be light about me. Yea, the darkness hideth not from thee, but the night shineth as the sky. The darkness as the light, are both alike to thee, for thou hast possessed my reins. Thou hast covered me in my mother's womb. I will praise thee, for I am fearfully and wonderfully made. Marvelous are thy works. And and that my soul knoweth right well. The same God who can find us, save us, and love us anywhere can also find us, judge us, and destroy us anywhere. Anywhere. Whether they flee to the top of the mountain, he says, or to the bottom of the sea, the Lord says, "I can use the sword or the serpent to destroy them." The same God who used the prophet Jeremiah to say in Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, "For I know the thoughts that I think towards you," saith the Lord, "thoughts of peace and not of evil to give you an expected end." And we love that verse, don't we? It's a verse that we love. It's a verse that we hold on to. But the same God says here, and I will set my eyes upon them for evil and not for good. Same God. Everybody say same God. Same God. Same God, God, Amos 9, 5, and the Lord God of hosts is he that toucheth the land and it shall melt and all that dwell therein shall mourn and it shall rise up holy like a flood and shall be drowned as by the flood of Egypt. This is reminiscent of something we talked about last week. Specifically here, we talked about the, the, the fact that it was descriptive of what an earthquake might be, turning the land into water, the rolling of it, the destruction of it. And so he speaks. It's made very clear, the Lord God, he says, I am the Lord God, the Lord God of hosts. It's he that toucheth the land. It's made very clear, once again, Amos is saying, look, this is God speaking. The Lord God is where the punishment is going to come from. It matters not that it is Israel that is now being judged. It doesn't matter. Doesn't matter. No matter how it comes, whether a physical earthquake, whether attack from an enemy, whether whatever it is, it doesn't matter how it comes. He wants them to know this is judgment. This is judgment. He does it disregarding their mere religious profession. I want you to hear this. Uh, One commentator wrote it like this. Jehovah here repels the idea which the Israelites were so prone to entertain that because he had brought them out of Egypt and given them the land of Canaan, that they were purely the objects of his regard and could never be subdued or destroyed. The Almighty in administering justice is not influenced by the plea of profession. Just because they professed to be something did not make it so. Oh, hallelujah. I can profess to be a Christian all day long. I can tell everybody I'm a Christian. I can put it on my Facebook page. But that does not make me a Christian. Christian, at its core, is Christ-like. Right? And so profession alone means nothing. It's got to be more than just what I say, but it has to be also what I do. It has to be more than what I declare I believe, but that belief must be lived out in my life. Because here, Israel would still have been professing to be the people of God. They were still professing to be the apple of his eye, to be the, his special chosen nation. They were still professing. They still talked about and declared about how much God loved them so much that he brought them out of bondage in Egypt, to let them walk across dry land in a Red Sea, gave them water from the rock, manna from heaven, protected them from their enemies, crossed them over the Jordan River and brought them to the land flowing with milk and honey, this promised land that he designed just for them. But all of that That meant nothing to God at this point. Though they were living as if it meant a lot, it actually meant nothing. Paul speaks of similar behavior in the book of Romans in chapter 1. He says in 21 through 25, because that when they knew God, they glorified him not as God. Neither were thankful, but became vain in their imaginations, and their foolish heart was darkened, professing themselves to be wise... They became fools and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man, into birds, into four-footed beasts, and creeping things. Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness, through the lust of their hearts, to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. Oh, hallelujah. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools that they knew God. They knew Him. They could profess Him, but they glorified Him not as God. Amen. It doesn't matter what age or dispensation we speak of God, He is just, He is righteous. From beginning to end. He is that same yesterday. Today and forever. He is the I am. He is the ever present one. He is the one who declares, I am God and I change not. I change not. And he, rep- he tells us this over and over. Old Testament, New Testament. We cannot, hear me church, Do not believe the lie of the age that we are somehow exempt, somehow special, somehow we get to skate by, we get to do what we want to do, live how we want to live, because bless God, we profess to be Christians. It's an old lie that the devil has been using from the beginning. A lot of souls have been destroyed thinking that they were going to be saved. Professing that they had done everything right, but living wrong. Mm. Amos 9 and 6. It is he that buildeth his stories in the heaven, hath founded his troop in the earth. He that calleth for the waters of the sea and poureth them out upon the face of the earth. The Lord is his name. He's the Lord of Heaven, he's the Lord of earth, he's the creator of land and sea, that's who he is. He can destroy using what he created, he can destroy what he created. He is not bound by it, beholden to it. He doesn't need it to exist. We need the sun to shine every once in a while. We need the rain to fall, we need crops to grow. We need to eat, to breathe. We need these things to exist. He does not need them. He doesn't need them. And so he can use his own creation to pour out judgment. He can call for the storehouses that he says where the hail is kept. He can call for the storehouses to empty themselves upon the earth and he can destroy with hail. He can let fire be called down from heaven. He can cause the earth to shake, to open up and people to fall into it. He can cause the seas to come roaring on to the land. He can cause all of it to happen. He can use his creation to judge or he can destroy his creation. Heaven and earth shall pass away, but my word shall not pass away. There will be a new heaven and a new earth. Right? So he is not like us. He doesn't need these things. But we are and we exist because he allows it to exist, because he created us to exist. And he says, after you get a hold of that, I need you to understand something. I am the Lord. The Lord is my name. The Lord is my name. You know what that, You know what he's declaring? He's declaring judgment, judgment, judgment. And he's not hiding. He's not standing in the corner. He doesn't have his head down. He's not trying to protect his image. He's not sending an angel to do it. He's saying, look, this judgment's going to come, and I want you to know I'm the one sending it. Amen. You ever, had, you ever tried to get somebody else to do your dirty work? huh you ever you ever you ever tried to uh, have someone else deliver the bad news you ever stood in the distance watching to see their response that's a human thing God doesn't do that if God's gonna judge he's going to judge and he's gonna tell you it was him that did it and why he did it amen Amos 9 and 7, are ye not as children of the Ethiopians unto me, O children of Israel, Saith the Lord? Have not I brought up Israel out of the land of Egypt, and the Philistines from Catfor, and the Syrians from Kerr? This is a really interesting verse of Scripture here with these questions. Uh, and and there's, there's a whole lot more to this than what I'm about to say. But on its basis, with, without the love for the Lord, without them having a relationship with him, without worship and consecration and all of those things that he created for them to have in their covenant relationship, then he says, your your miraculous deliverance from Egypt now means nothing more than just some nation that migrated from one place to another. Think about that. They have wasted Miraculous deliverance and divine relationship for temporary pleasures and selfishness. And God says, I did miracles to get you out of Egypt. I did, I mean, some crazy stuff. The frogs, right? The sun that only shone. In one place, the, 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 oh. He did miracles. They practically loot Egypt on the way out. Go to each house and ask of them things that you need for their travels, and everybody, all the Egyptians are like, here, take everything we own. Just get out of here. <laughs> Crosses a Red Sea, destroys Pharaoh and all of his armies. Their great iron chariots. He says, I did miracles to get you out of Egypt and to bring you into this land, this beautiful land that I created specifically for you. Flowing with milk and honey, this beautiful land, houses you didn't build, vineyards you didn't plant. I gave it all to you. And he says, but the way that you are living now, what I did for you now is, you've made it nothing. You made it no different than just a group of people over here decided to migrate over there. They just changed locations. Hmm. Wow. Wasted it. Miraculous deliverance, wasted. Miraculous provision, wasted. And then we see Our God of mercy is the same God of judgment. We find that in him and in his wrath, that he is not blind to those few remnants. Remember the remnants? Remember the piece of an ear and leg? He's not blind to those few remnants who are still serving him because we get to verses eight and nine. Behold, the eyes of the Lord God are upon the sinful kingdom, and I will destroy it, from off the face of the earth, saving that I will not utterly destroy the house of Jacob. saith the Lord, for lo, I will command, and I will sift the house of Israel among all nations, like as corn is sifted in a sieve, yet shall not the least grain fall upon the earth. Let me say this, I think this is important. God never destroys without looking. This is, this is important, I think. His eyes are upon what he judges. He, he inspects before he, before he swipes at them. I think that's important. I think it's important that we understand that we will never we will never get lost in the masses of sinfulness, that we will never get caught up mistakenly in the destruction of those who do not serve the Lord. If we serve the Lord, he will see us. So that he will not, he says, utterly destroy the house of Jacob. Instead, he will sift them like corn is sifted in a sieve. Uh, it, one commentator says Israel is to be dispersed among the nations. And while they're being dispersed among the nations, uh, they will be tried and winnowed among them by affliction and by persecution, that the evil may fall to the ground and perish, but the good will be preserved. The word rendered sift here implies to shake to and fro, and the shaking shall show who are the true Israelites and who are the false, who retain their faith and cleave to the Lord under all difficulties, and who lose their hold of true religion and assimilate themselves to the heathen among whom they dwell. These last shall not return from captivity. They will be shaken to and fro. Some taken to this nation and some taken to those nations and spread out upon the nations of the earth. You will find this Israelite nation becomes just pockets of people spread around the world and they will be punished and there will be uh, uh, difficulty and challenge and they will be shaken and everything that can be shaken will be shaken. But he says the shaking will provide evidence as to who truly serves the Lord and who loves God. And those that fall through, through the shaking, through the the sieve, those that fall through to the ground, they will not return. They will not be restored. They will die in their captivity. They will die in their places that they just... uh, acclimated to, assimilated to, the, the gods that they learned to worship, the idols that they bowed down to, the lifestyles that they just, they just took over because that's where they live. They will, they will die in those places, but there is a remnant, oh hallelujah. There is a remnant that will be returned. Oh hallelujah. It's descriptive more here showing that separation. We talked about it last week, of the the chaff or the husk being separated from, from the grain, designed to let the dust and the chaff fall to the ground, and it leaves only that which is to be harvested. It's a righteous thing, and I believe it is a wonderful thing to hear God say, yet shall not the least grain fall Upon the earth, that's a great thing to hear him say. After after eight and a half chapters of destruction and damnation and all of this, it's a good thing. It, it just it makes me feel good. To hear that God who has told them all of the ways that they are going to be destroyed. And last week with the death and all of the things we talked about. It does my soul good to hear the Lord declare the grain will not fall upon the earth. That which survives the sifting, the shaking. It will not be destroyed. It will be preserved. It will be delivered from death. Ultimately, it will be delivered from captivity, restored and renewed to what God intended for them all along. And after this, we have clarity again. Once again, he makes it known, 9 and 10, all the sinners of my people shall die by the sword, which say the evil shall not overtake nor prevent us. So right after he says there will be a remnant, Some will truly survive because some truly love me. He says that, and it makes you feel good. And then he says, but just so we're clear, all the sinners shall die by the sword. So now that God has made all things known, he's talked about their judgment, he's told them repeatedly why, he's told them the destruction that's going to come, we come to the epilogue. As a God who so loves the world has so often shown us, he once again offers hope. He once again offers faith for the future. The last several verses in my Bible are entitled the restoration of Israel. Doesn't that sound good? It's taking us 10 lessons. But the restoration of Israel 9-11, in that day will I raise up the tabernacle of David that has fallen and close up the breaches thereof, and I will raise up his ruins, and I will build it as in the days of old. Now, We need to understand the restoration of Israel. We need to understand the timetable here because there were times after this, after they are destroyed and after this, there were times of respite. There were times of repair that came later on in Israel's history, but these verses are not speaking, they're not likely speaking of those temporary times when Israel did good again for a little while, but they're speaking of far more than that. It speaks of spiritual redemption. It speaks of a redemption of Israel under another David. Jesus is called the son of David multiple times in Scripture. And this refers to the fact that David is the first king of Israel that has promise connected to him. God declared that David's kingdom would be established forever. You remember? They got off to a bad start with kings, but when finally they sought the Lord and the Lord gave them a king, he says, to, of David's kingdom, it will be established forever. That's already spoken. Whatever God speaks of will come to pass. So all of this time that we're learning about Amos and and the other prophets and the destruction and the doom and everything that's going to come to Israel, we must never forget that God declared that the nation, David's kingdom, would be established forever no matter how small it got, no matter how pitiful the remnant was. There would be a remnant. There will be a kingdom. And David, amen, was that first king, but then Jesus is the final king. He is the king of kings, hallelujah, that will rule, amen, this now spiritual redemption and renewal of God's people. He says one day the breaches will be closed up, one day the ruins will be raised up, and God will build it as it was in the days of old. Verse 12, that they may possess the remnant of Edom and all of the heathen, which are called by my name, saith the Lord the Lord that doeth this. They're gonna possess those. The restoration is gonna be upon those who? Those who which are called by my name. That's going to be the kingdom. That's going to be the people who this second David, hallelujah, this Jesus, this is going to be the kingdom that he is restoring, those that are called by the name of the Lord. So we get to talk tonight just for a couple minutes about Jesus' name, baptism. Because we understand that it's important now that this baptism in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of our sins in the New Testament has a lot of power to it. Amen. And it also provides us with our Christmas connection for the night. See, I told you we'd get there. The Old Testament speaks of Jehovah. Fittingly, we sang about it tonight in one of our songs. We sing about Jehovah Jireh, Jehovah Rapha, Jehovah Nisi, Jehovah Adonai. We know the Old Testament and these these titles of the Lord God, Jehovah that can do this, Jehovah that can do that, Jehovah that can take care of the other thing. The Old Testament shows these to us, the Lord our healer, the Lord our banner, the Lord our peace, the Lord our provider, all of these things that he is. But the New Testament gives us Matthew 1.20. But while he thought on these things, behold, the angel of the Lord appeared unto him in a dream, saying, Joseph, thou son of David, fear not to take unto thee Mary thy wife, for that which is conceived in her is of the Holy Ghost. And she shall bring forth a son, and thou shalt call his name Jesus. For he shall save his people from their sins. Now, all this was done that it might be fulfilled, which was spoken of the Lord by the prophet, saying, Behold, a virgin shall be with child and shall bring forth a son, and they shall call his name Emmanuel, which being interpreted is God with us. God with us. And so his name is Jesus. His name is Jesus. And he is our Emmanuel. He is God with us. And later we read, on the day of Pentecost in Acts 2, you know it. Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their heart and said unto Peter and the rest of the apostles, men and brethren, what shall we do? What should we do about the fact that we crucified Jesus? What should we do about the fact that now the tomb has been rolled away, the stone's rolled away, it's empty. We realize that we've made a drastic mistake uh, that the Messiah was amongst us. Uh, What shall we do? And Peter said unto them, repent and be baptized every one of you in the name of Jesus Christ for the remission of sins and you shall, amen, receive the gift of the Holy Ghost. For there is a promise involved in it. There's a promise. There's a kingdom that's going to be restored. It's going to be a kingdom that Amos was talking about all the way back in the day. It's about to be a kingdom that is led by a king, a second man, David, and it will be people who have his name promises unto you and your children and all them that are far off as many as the Lord our God shall call and with many other words that he testify and exhort saying save yourselves from this untoward generation don't believe the lie don't get caught up in the nonsense don't get full of yourself don't be taking advantage of other people don't do all of these things that Amos has been talking about that Israel was becoming don't create false gods and false worship amen don't profess something that you're not but do hallelujah serve the Lord with gladness, amen, save yourself from this untoward generation, and they that gladly received his word were baptized, and the same day there were added to them about 3,000 souls. Amos saw a day in which the relationship between God and his people would be renewed, and it would be restored, and this would be a people who knew him by name. This would be a people who had his name on their life. And so I'll say to anyone that may be here tonight who is yet to be baptized in Jesus' name, I'll say the same thing that Ananias said to Saul who would be converted and become the great apostle Paul in Acts 22 and 16. Why tarriest thou? Arise and be baptized and wash away thy sins calling on the name of the Lord. Calling on the name of the Lord while they were planting. Notice, I want you to see this, these last three verses. The last three verses of Amos show us the promise of God for his people. This is the plan. This is what God wants to do for those who love him and serve him. This is what he wants to accomplish. Look at this. Behold, the days come, saith the Lord, that the plowman shall overtake the reaper, and the, and the treader of grapes him that soweth seed. The mountains shall drop sweet wine, and all the hills shall melt. And I will bring again the captivity of my people of Israel, and they shall build away cities and inhabit them, and they shall plant vineyards, and drink the wine thereof, and they shall also make gardens, and eat the fruit of them. And I will plant them upon their land, and they shall no more be pulled up out of their land, which I gave, have given them, saith the Lord thy God. He says, he says, this kingdom that I have for you, he says that it's going to be so wonderful, and so productive, and so bountiful. That while you are planting, they will also be reaping. No, no, let the land sit. No, seasons of growth. No, we have to wait until this time of the year. No, he says, That while you're planting in one place, you'll be reaping in another place. You'll be be stomping out the grape juice um, from from the grapes that have been picked uh, while you're planting and, and seeing other grapes rising up right behind those. It will truly be the land flowing with milk and honey. It will be the eternal Canaan. It will be our eternal promised land. So these are physical ways that he is illustrating spiritual abundance and spiritual blessing and he's illustrating a life that is completely contradictory to everything that we have to endure here and now. Right? It's a restoration of the Garden of Eden. It's a restoration of his plan from the beginning. It's an eternity with him in just relationship. And I will wipe every tear from their eye and there shall be no more pain or heartache. Right? It's real life scenarios that he is using illustratively here. And and when they heard Amos say these things, they would think to themselves, that is impossible on earth. That would be impossible here. Even in Canaan land, that wasn't possible. But he's talking about a restoration that goes beyond this place. He's talking about a kingdom that's going to exist. (laughs) And then he says, the waste cities will become their new homes and their fields will bring forth abundantly. And they themselves, hear this, And they themselves will be planted upon their land by God himself. And nothing will ever be able to pull them up out of their land. Oh, hallelujah. He's talking about heaven. He's talking about the restoration being complete. He's talking about that new Jerusalem that holy city of God. That's what he's speaking of. And Amos utters these final words for them. Land, he says, I have given them, saith the Lord thy God. And So tonight we still look forward to this conclusion of the promise. We still live in such a way that we might receive the promise. We have not arrived. It's not over. The blessings and the things that he says that his kingdom will have, we are not seeing them yet. We thank God for every good and perfect thing that comes from him, but that is not all that there is. And so we lift our eyes like it is said of Abraham in Hebrews 11. And this will be my final verses. By faith, Abraham, when he was called to go out into a place which he should after receive for an inheritance, obeyed. And he went out, not knowing whither he went By faith he sojourned in the land of promise as in a strange country, dwelling in tabernacles with Isaac and Jacob, the heirs with him of the same promise. For he looked for a city which hath foundations, whose builder and maker is God. Through faith also Sarah herself received strength to conceive seed and was delivered of a child when she was past age, because she judged him faithful who had promised. Therefore sprang there even of one and him as good as dead, so many as the stars of the sky in the multitude, and as the sand which is by the seashore innumerable. These all died in faith, not having received the promises, but having seen them afar off, and were persuaded of them, and embraced them, and confessed that they were strangers and pilgrims on the earth, for they that say such things declare plainly that they seek a country. And truly, if they had been mindful of that country from whence they came out, they might have had opportunity to have returned. But now they desire a better country, that is, a heavenly. Wherefore God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he hath prepared for them a city. Oh, hallelujah. Are we still looking for that city tonight? Are we still looking? Are we still strangers in this land? Are we still unashamed to boldly declare I'm a stranger and a sojourner. This world is not my home. I'm just passing through. Hallelujah. Amen. Are we still able to say, I'm looking for a city whose builder and maker is God. I'm not just settling for this. This is not what I'm all about. This isn't the end result. I'm looking forward to heaven with Jesus. And if we are, then we need to hear the word of God through Amos. We need to hear what we've been studying for the last nine weeks, ten weeks. We need to learn it. That he is righteous, that he is just, and he loves us too much to leave us in our sins unto death. And he will do whatever he has to do. <laughs> he will do whatever he has to do to even the things in the people he loves the most. He will do whatever. Because his plan and his purpose is perfect. It's righteous. It's holy. And he wants us to have it. Amen? Let's stand together if we could. What a wonderful thing it is. What a wonderful thing. Aren't you glad that this herdsman from Tokoa said, Yes, Lord. Aren't you glad? Aren't you glad that somebody who was just going about their day, serving the Lord, trying to keep their nose clean, trying not to get involved in nonsense? Aren't you glad that when the Lord said, I need you, Amos, I need you to travel to Jerusalem. I, I, need, you to, I need you to say some things for me. Aren't you glad that Amos said, yes, Lord, I'll do that? Amen. I'm thankful for that. And I'm sure it wasn't fun. And maybe when we get to heaven, we can ask him just how unfun that was. Amen. But I'm sure he did not regret it. Amen. He was used of God. Lord, we thank you so much for all that you are and all that you do. Thank you for listening to our podcast this week. We hope you enjoyed this message. Remember, if you would like to find out more information about our church or to contact us, please go online at connectpointupc.com. And also don't forget to subscribe in your podcast app so you will be automatically notified of new episodes. Thank you, and we hope you have a great week.